What is up, guys? It's Motorcycle Dad with Tito here. Episode 22. I hope everybody had a good weekend. I hope uh, everybody got some riding in. I got the chance to go out for a little riding. And uh, I hope just everybody had an overall good weekend. Why would I want you to have a shitty weekend? Everybody should have a great weekend. So coming at you live from my kitchen today uh, because I've just been sitting here reading and going over some stuff and uh, just working on the podcast and some other items. So uh, that's why it's going to be a little echoey. Uh, The acoustics are a little off. I do have some free time because my kids in daycare for today because I had some business I had to take care of this morning. So I figured I got done early with some of my other shit. I figured I'd come in here and uh, talk to you guys. Hey, how you doing? You have a good day? Let's go. I'm just joking, guys. So in this episode, uh, segment one, we're going to do some moto news as usual. Um, we're going to go over some statistics and not, nah, I mean, look, it hasn't been really too crazy in motorcycle news this week, but I am going to touch on a couple things. Okay. Um, segment two, we're going to go over and I posted this question on the Facebook page. So I had a, uh, one reply, I think my boy, Vinny, thanks Vinny. Appreciate you. These nuts all day. Um, we're going to go over reviews for dealerships. What I look for when it comes to reviews and dealerships, because guys, the, the water is tainted. People pay Google, pay Yelp to bump the first ones up and put the, you know, the, the best ones, the five-star reviews up and suppress the fucking negative reviews. That's a possibility for people. Everybody knows that. But what I always look for, because you're never going to always make 100% of the people happy, but I'm going to teach you the tricks to look, see what I look at to follow up to see if it was just a bad customer, bad experience, one singular bad employee, or the whole place is shit. Okay. So that's one of the things we're going to go over in our second segment. Also, I'm going to go over when you're buying a new motorcycle or buying a used motorcycle in the dealership, what products that they're going to sell you actually make sense and what of them are kind of bullshit. Okay. So we're going to go there, but to start off moto news, fresh off the presses here, guys. So apparently Harley over the weekend, or let me see, when was this dated? Yeah, it was over the weekend, pretty much, last week. They let go of the president of global brand development, okay? So Harley created this position just back in April. They hired this guy named Neil Grimer. I think, I think that's how you pronounce it. He got fired, so he don't get a good pronunciation of his, uh, of his last name. Um, he came with uh, much fanfare from what they say in the article from uh, Dealer News, from Plum Baby Food and Habit Founder. Was it Plum Baby Food and Habit Founder? Okay, that's what they call it. Plum Baby Food and Habit. So basically, baby food company, baby product company, came over to be the new, brand new position for him. He got a sparkling new desk and everything. And Harley was like, nah, man, this ain't a good fit. And they fucking let his ass go. Uh, So the CEO, Matt Levitich, that's how you pronounce his name, sit out a memo basically saying based up and this is from the from the quote from the company memo based upon our internal inquiry along with the findings the findings of this third party investigation we determined that mr grimer leaving harley davidson was an appropriate course of action hmm hmm because apparently uh he's you know he violated something they didn't really give specifics but there was a third party investigation so I'm thinking just in my head, from my experience, it's one of two things. He either fucking, he banged somebody he shouldn't have banged, a subordinate of some sort at the company, or he probably came in like one of these guys that comes in there and it's like, I'm going to change the whole world and make everything better because you guys suck. And here it is. You got a bunch of people pissed off because they're like, wait a minute, dude, we don't suck. Yeah, we do have room for improvement. We don't fucking completely suck. So fuck off. Um, and it goes back to, this is one of those things my buddy taught me. Okay. Because there was a point in time where I was really critical of one of the guys I was working with. And he was technically, he was over me. Um, he was a general manager of, a, of uh, the Fort Lauderdale location. And I fucking very much disliked this guy. I thought he was a bum. I thought he was more talked than anything. The guy came in from day one. And I was always leery about this. And I'm always leery about any manager, any fucking big dog, cheese dingling that comes in. And day one, without spending more than one day in the operation... He's going to be like, oh, we got to rechange the whole script. And this is how we're going to do things to get better. Okay. One of the things I learned in the Marine Corps, one of my gunnies taught me this. My first gunny, Gunny J. 
he was like, look, dude, you get somewhere, keep your fucking mouth shut. When you go to your next duty station, keep your mouth shut and just listen and learn. You're going to get more information from keeping your fucking mouth shut than anything else. Not only that, it, for me personally, it went along with my bravado of being this fucking hard-nosed motherfucker because I didn't see shit. When I got to my new unit, 268, and when I've gone to the new shops, I don't see shit. For the first two or three days, I usually just keep my mouth shut and don't say nothings. And then I, I'll like do something mediocre, like not mediocre, but like something minuscule on the duties list. Like my first uh, service manager job when I was in Eagle Rider, Miami, the first three days I washed bikes. That's all I did. And these guys thought it was a joke at first. They're like, oh, 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 my new boss is washing bikes. But this is the thing. I set a precedence. I did 30 bikes the first day. I did like 35 bikes the next day and I did like 40 bikes the next day. And the thing was, all the bikes were coming out fucking spotless clean. And I set the expectation and the precedence for what I wanted right off the bat by by showing by example, because then these guys can't go back and be like, oh, I can only watch 25 bikes. I can only do this. So I can only speak from experience. I don't know exactly what their motive was for getting rid of this guy, because when you're talking about somebody in the higher level positions like these, a lot of it's politics, too. If somebody doesn't back their play or see with their vision or they see them as a threat, especially the CEO, Matt Levitage right now, because I, look, dude, ever since this guy's taken over, they haven't been profitable. So his back is already against the wall. Then what do you need? You need another guy that's somebody that's allegedly supposed to be in your team that's working against you. As much as I don't believe in what they're doing over at Harley at the same time, you kind of kind of drink the Kool-Aid guys and, and got to go along with it. I hate saying it because I used to always bust people's balls about it. Especially my last place, like, oh, you drink fucking Kool-Aid, you're an idiot. But that's their choice to stay there. And not only that, they got to back their play if they're going to stay. I can't, you can't expect people. And that's a lesson that I learned recently. You can't expect everybody to jump off the train and do the same thing at the same time. You always got to have a subtle approach. I think it was probably a combination between a couple things. If you're telling me the guy's been there since April, look, that ain't enough time to bang people. <laughs> and I could be wrong. Maybe this guy's a horn dog. He just went around and started banging, uh, you know, employees. But that's not really enough time to form a scandal or a relationship with people uh, in your division. But I'm, I'm pretty sure what happened was this guy came in, he shook the tree, and they didn't like it. And guess what? Fucking you're not on the same team. You got to go. That goes back to my talk I've talked to you guys about. Hey, look, if you feel like you see yourself becoming the shit employee, it's time for you to go. It's either you, what, you die a hero, you live long enough to see yourself become the enemy. That's an actual real fucking... Not to get all corny and comic booky, but that's the actual real statement. It's either you're going to fucking go out like the hero or you're going to fucking stay and become that shit employee. And that's what people are going to remember from you. Because just like we have a saying in the service department from uh, for motorcycle techs, you're only as good as the last bike that was on your fucking lift. Everybody's going, oh, I did 500 bikes straight. Yeah, but you messed up the one. That's all they're going to remember. So I got a feeling that it was a lot of that between those guys over there at Harley, where it was like, oh, this and that, uh, you know. So, you know, speaking of drinking the Kool-Aid, uh, they were talking about Ducati. They just had their big fucking dealer fucking circle jerk out in Italy with uh, with olive oil and wine or whatever the fuck it is out there. No disrespect to any of my Italian peoples. I love you guys to death, especially my homeboy Tony. He's But the reason why I say that is because he's real Italian. Guys, some of these guys are flukies. But now I have a love-hate relationship with Ducati. Okay. I think they make beautiful machines. I think they make some very nice fucking bikes. But I'm always, my perspective and my biasness is always going to come from how you support your fucking dealers. Now, the North American market has been huge for Ducati. Okay. Pretty much, I'll, I'll be, I'll call it what it is. And I'll be blunt. North America or motorcycle sales in North America for Ducati is, is saving the fucking company right now. Okay. Quite frankly, they are because the amount of volume you're going to be able to move the, the, the market, the way it is right now, it's saving the company. Now, one of the things my biggest gripe with them and from what I've talked to my local dealer about is always going to be dealer support. Dealer support is the backbone to making sure you have good customer service. Now, if the dealer's shit and you got a bad employee, bad service writer, bad service manager, bad tech, that's for the dealership to figure out. I don't put that on Ducati. I don't put that on them at all. Okay. Now, one of the things I'm going to put them on is like when the V4 first came out, they had a oil problem, oil cooler problem or something where they had to replace the oil pump and parts were not available for at least a month and a half to two months. Now, that could have been my local dealer because I'm technically their competition at the time. That could have been them sandbagging me. 
But also one of the things that made perfect sense to me when they told me this, and I went over there and I talked to their manager and verified, was the fact that, and I've run into this with Beamer, they have a recall come out, they don't ship the parts and the special tools to do the job for at least a month or a month and a half. I get it. You got to put the recall out first because legally you have to do that and then you can follow up later. But what I would really like to see out of Ducati is an improvement in dealer support. Now, if the, like I said, if the individual dealer is shitty, there's nothing I can do about that. You know, there's nothing you can do about that. Just don't go there. Go to another dealer. As inconvenienced as it may be, go to another dealer or find you an independent shop somewhere that has a good certified guy and take your bike there instead. But when it comes down to support of the dealers, that's the support of the dealers is the backbone that has a direct correlation with the support of the customer. Because you're going to feel like shit when you have to tell your customer, sorry, no parts are in yet. And I don't know when the parts are coming in. So whether that's, you know, and I know it's going to be a little bit more difficult for these guys to say like, hey, have the parts ready sooner. But at least the biggest thing is if you develop a system and maybe they have it in place already where you could check and see expected delivery dates, you know, expected time of arrival, ETAs, or hey, look, you're looking at a month out or 30 days out, or if you're color coded this much, it means you're 45 days plus out. Because the biggest thing that comes along with being a dealer is being able to inform your customer. Now, I've had customers that are super fucking cool. As long as I kept them in the mix and let them know what was going on, they didn't care. But I had to have something to give them. And not only that, it was my responsibility at the dealership level to call your fucking customer and keep them updated. I don't put that on Ducati at all. But what I put on Ducati is dealer support and information updates. That's what I'm going to put out on Ducati. Because every fucking manufacturer, no matter if it's Harley, BMW, everybody's going to have a recall or a service bulletin of some kind, especially when they're doing new models, new motors. It's just going to happen, guys. That's just the reality of the world with it. Machines are machines and they break down. Now, that's something I see going away with electric vehicles and electric motorcycles. But those haven't reached that pinnacle of taking the industry over. There's still a small piece of the pie. But that's going to be one of the things that attracts people very much so, you know, because a battery is a battery. If I got a problem with a battery or an induction motor, I don't have to have 50,000 part numbers for that. I don't have to have an oil seal, uh, a specific oil seal or oil seal puller or, or any of this stuff. I can generally fix that stuff on the fly if I need to, as long as I have the appropriate parts. So I think that's going to be the one of the big hitters in the next five years that you see. And it's going to cause the drive of electric vehicles to go up. Don't get me wrong, still going to have petroleum-based vehicles all day, but you know I think that's going to drive the future. But I, I digress a little bit, guys. So looking at these things with Ducati, um, like I said, you got to drink the Kool-Aid, guys. It's, when, when you believe in a brand, now, I'll be perfectly honest, the kind of business I would like to run, I don't see that being a necessity. I see we need to motivate each other to get pumped up, but what I mean drink the Kool-Aid is when you fucking, when you're celebrating and you're fucking clapping and you're just sitting there like, ooh, you know, like, oh, I'm just gonna clap just to clap. Well, you don't believe in the brand. I want everybody to believe in the brand just as much as me, not just the fucking owner that's getting a paycheck, not just this person that's making all the money off the commission. I want everybody to be involved and, and fully engaged in the process and the beliefs that we have in the product. That's my philosophy. I think you track more flies with honey, but uh, some dealers, that's what they gotta do. Especially if you're a single line dealer, you're gonna have to, you gotta have to make the Kool-Aid and make them drink it from time to time. I don't think it's a necessity in our day and age, but you know, everybody's got different management styles and everybody's got different things going on, okay? So that being said, Move on to the next part, all right? We're gonna talk about Yamaha a little bit. Yamaha has, they got their new 2020 MT line, okay? So MT stands for Master of Torque lineup. Um, MT line has been out in Japan for a couple, excuse me, for a couple years. And it's been here in the States now for a couple years, if I'm not mistaken, a season or two. <clears throat> and the MT line is very popular back in Japan. And it's kind of like when the Skyline first came out of here, over here, GTRs. When I was stationed in Okinawa, you saw Skylines everywhere. Super popular. Then you get to the States, you don't see them at all. Well, now you see GTRs out here now. Okay. So same thing with the MT series. Uh, you're talking about greats when, uh, you know, you got your MT-03 that, I mean, when you look at this thing, guys, you're talking about... 300 cc bike good for beginner. i think it's a great new beginner bike and it's got a little bit more torque than your normal like r3 
you're getting 56 miles per gallon estimated, of course, and you get brand new $4,599. Brand new. Brand new. I think it's a great beginner bike when you're looking at our demographic. And uh, it's a good bike. I don't, know, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, it's a more of a sporty, naked, you know, your twin cylinder bike. But I think it's something that somebody can grow on. It's coming with all the LED headlights. LED. If you guys haven't noticed that anything coming out now, mostly standard, everything's going to be LED. Before that was like, oh, that's the first thing I got to do when I can get this thing. And even the tail tidy is not too gaudy. I mean, the tail tidy still kind of, but they slimmed it down a lot. And it's got the LED turn signals, LED lights and everything. Even the exhaust isn't too bad. I mean, this would be probably the first thing that goes, but definitely for the money that you're going to pay. I've talked about this before. If you're a single person, okay, you're single, you have no kids, really have no real responsibility or when it comes to like vast responsibility, like you're just below the age of 30 and you're just living your life and having a good time, get a fucking motorcycle. Why the fuck are you with, with food delivery nowadays? Or you can even throw your backpack or a little tank bag on, get groceries. You know, the cost of having a car over a motorcycle is drastically different. Uh, I, I think it's more economical to have a motorcycle personally, if you're single. So, but that's just my opinion. Um, don't worry about me. I get all my information from the internet, from Google. Another thing, not talking about Yamaha, and hold on, just for a quick second, you're talking about MT-07, okay, 665cc motorcycle for $7,600, and then you get up to the M, uh, MT-10, that's going to be around your 12 mark, that's that's your higher end four-cylinder, you're, you're, that's your leader, which I heard is a monster, I heard the MT-07 and MT-10 are monster bikes, uh, they said, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Yamaha in general anyways, now, their dark side, their dark attraction. Also, oh, my bad, guys. Also, I forgot the MT-09. MT-09, 847ccs. You're looking at nine grand brand new. Still beautiful. I think all of them are beautiful. I like my Street Triple. I'm going to stick with it. I'm still a huge fan of Yamaha. One of these days, if I get back on the track full time or get to that point where I'm riding track regularly again, I think my track bike is going to be a Yamaha. Hands down. Hands down, Yamaha. Okay. But uh, moving over to Honda, okay, Honda for 2021 is going to have the CBR 1000 Ara Ara dash Ara Fireblade SP. Okay, so the Fireblade back in the day, it was you know one of the first leader sport bikes out there, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, um, but from my research, it was one of the first ones. I remember we had an old Fireblade coming through the shop with the paint scheme, and he's got a pretty close paint scheme to the old school Fireblade, just newer more updated um it, it looks pretty badass everything was developed by honda uh you know honda racing it's gonna have you know honda selectable torque control for optimized handling and adjustment for start mode you know blah 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 all this stuff the price is still be determined but this bike in particular they did a lot of research and development and threw a lot of money at it um, from honda racing corporation they had a big involvement with this, okay? So Honda Racing Corporation is their race team, stuff that's separate from Honda itself. It's still Honda, don't get me wrong. But Honda Racing Corporation, they're focusing on Superbike MotoGP stuff. So the fact that they involved all that in the technology and development of it from, you know, Superbike World Championship and MotoGP, and they had a direct correlation and responsibility in the design from the ground up, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty sick bike. Not a lot of info out there besides the history and whatnot going into it. Uh, you know, some of the features and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I think it's going to be pretty cool. I'm not a huge Honda guy, but if you're a huge Honda guy, it's something to look forward to. Now, CBR 600 RR is going for 12. We'll see. I don't know if I'm gonna pay 12 for fucking for CBR. It's still a CBR, dude. I can go to the auction or go on Craigslist and get a CBR for cheap. So that's, uh, but not to say you can't do that with any other motorcycle too. So I'm not gonna try to knock these guys too much, but Honda working on some big stuff, not just the Goldwing. Okay, they're they're looking at an improvement. And you look, I mean, a lot of MotoGP fans out there, I'm not as engaged as a MotoGP fan as some other people that I know that wake up early in the fucking morning on Sunday to watch the race and all that shit. I'm not doing it. I'm not paying for the subscription just because I don't see the value in it for me. I can get all the information that I like to get from MotoGP online free. So that's just me personally. Um, but if you look right now, the reigning champion, Mark Marquez, 
I mean, Honda's been taking the reins. Ducati's trying to catch up there because they finally found riders that can tame the beast of the Ducati. But, uh, which is something, look, Rossi and fucking Jorge Lorenzo struggle with. Both those guys struggle with trying to tame the Ducati. But these are things that, you know, uh, I'm happy for Ducati, but, you know, Honda's crushing it. Um, they got the best rider in the world on their shit. And I say that with all endearment because I love Valentino Rossi. I'm a huge Rossi fan. It's one of the reasons why I got into the sport and I fucking love it so much. One of the reasons, not saying, oh, he's my main reason, because I'll never be able to ride on that skill level. And I say that not to put myself down, but I have so much interest in all sorts of other riding that I'll never be able to be on that level. I don't think there's a lot of people on this planet well. Now, I'd like to be decent in it and enjoy track riding, but I never want to be like, oh, like, because if you're not racing for titles and trophies, you know, when you go out to a track day, all those guys out there talking shit, like, dude, you're fucking full of it. If you're that good, fucking go out and, and race fucking real shit. Don't fucking come out here and beat up on some fucking younglings or some fucking squids and think you're fucking badass. Go fuck yourself, mook. But got that part out. Other than that, uh, when it comes to like Honda, Yamaha, I'm a huge fan and it got me involved in the sport and I, I love all, all sorts of things. So um, it looks like Honda's in the right track for 2021. Uh, they got the best rider in the world. They got technically the best bike in the world. You know, you're taking the titles eight years in a row. I, I, I mean, look, I'm a Yamaha guy. I'd love to fucking to fight the differ. But when, when you're the champion eight years in a row, rider or not, you're the best. And right now, statistically, when you're looking at it, Honda sport bikes, best in the world. So, uh, like I said, not a big Honda guy. I'm more of a Yamaha, Triumph, Harley, everything else guy. But, and I've ridden Hondas, so it's not by any kind of bias whatsoever. All right, guys, uh, going into the next one, new rider demographic, okay? So who is the new generation of buyers? Now, they're going based on buyers, okay? They're not going based on riders, but, I, you know, but they're looking at the demo, from a demographic perspective. First-time buyers are young, unmarried, and employed. The more, majority don't have children, and exactly half of this demographic make less than $60,000 per year. And they are quintessentially described as millennials, okay? So when you're looking at the, this is the new rider breakdown, okay, according to this study. 66% are under 44 years old. I can see that. 56% aren't married. 80% have a job. Well, I hope so. You're buying a new fucking bike. Um, 55% don't have a kid. And 50% make less than 60000 a year. But 19% make more than 100000 So... Um, and the demographic pretty much is millennials. Now, I hear a lot of fucking people talk shit about millennials. Okay. Well, millennials is, look, go fuck a goat. Millennials hurt. This is our time now. You had Generation X. You had the baby boomers. I mean, you guys can talk shit about millennials all the Oh, they're lazy. All oh, this and that. Guess what? There's always going to be that continuous cycle with our generations. When millennials get older, we're going to be bitching about fucking, I don't know, Mars kids or something like that. Oh, you fuck all these kids to go to space. They fucking think they're just hot shit. You know, if you're going to live your life by that biased opinion, it's always going to hold you back. The same thing with the motorcycle when you're looking at motorcycles in general. It's going to hold you back when you're like, oh, only Harleys are the best or only fucking Yamahas or only this is the best or only this specific ride. You're selling yourself short. Now, if you're okay with that and just you like what you like, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't put other people down. So millennials are the key holders in the industry coming up. That's just the facts. The next five to 10 years in the industry is going to be dictated by millennials. Now, I was reading through like one of the companies here that's offering uh, a product is rental insurance for MBA insurance. OK, a lot of these guys, these boomers, these Generation X people, they're trying to catch up to the millennials. Let's just call it what it is. Sorry, guys, you guys can get an email with a cat emoji or some gif in it and fucking get half of your life savings taken. Sorry, boomers and Generation Xers. I mean, a lot of millennials would think you're fucking dumb. Matter of fact, I just got a phone call like, your social security number has been involved in crimes and this and the other. And I was like, yeah, okay, bullshit, whatever. Get the fuck out of here. That's not the way it works. There's people out there that get susceptible to something. So before you put anybody down, take a look at that. But you got some of these companies that are trying to get into the rental game because statistically millennials are more into renting than owning. 
which makes sense when you have companies like Eagle Rider out there offering their you know $25 a month membership, you get a credit a month. Now, what they don't tell you is um, when it comes to busy seasons and you have paying customers or paying full retail, you're now the last priority. They'll tell you that too. I'm not telling you any secret. Now, the secret scroll stuff has been when we've been in meetings and they told us straight up, like, yeah, they're not the priority. So just give them whatever you have left over. You know, the tour group and the retail customers are the priority. That's not so much secret squirrel shit. That's kind of common knowledge stuff. I mean, if you've been a customer with Club Eagle Rider membership and you've gone in there during the busy season and tried to get a bike, you probably ended up with a Sportster or something that nobody wanted, you know, like Yamaha Bolt or something like that. That's the price of the rental game. But a lot more millennials are going towards rentals because, yeah, I'm going to pay two. And you got to think about this, guys. I know you're like, oh, it's pretty expensive. You know, I got to pay $200 and then this and that. And usually it comes out to about $200 a day. Okay, but think about this. If I'm the mediocre rider and I'm only going to ride these two days or use one of my credits here and there, you know, and say I pay the $200 to $300 to rent the motorcycle for two to three days or say two days. All right. But now I don't have to worry about insurance. I don't have to worry about upkeep. I don't have to worry about the bike sitting in the garage and battery going dead and the fucking fuel getting varnished in there. Now I got to take it to the shop and all this stuff that as a motorcycle owner adds up over time. Those are things you don't have to think about. I can rent this bike. I can fucking, in a sense, fuck it up. You know, fucking, I can't even tell you how many smoke clutches and shit that we had to replace because people fuck these things up and they walk away from it and they don't have any other responsibility. Because millennials are fast. We don't want anything really holding us down, per se. Like, I don't want to have a big commitment to hold me down and this and the other. Shit, that's why the fucking birth rate is dropping and shit like that. You got a lot more people that are career-driven and want their freedom to go do whatever they want. Rentals offers that freedom to somebody without making a commitment. Now, sorry, millennials, at the same time, I'm talking shit on you. At some point in time, you got to make a fucking commitment and fucking get something. And I can see, and the best part about rentals, too, is... You could try out so many different kinds of bikes before you get to the one that you really want. You're like, you know what? I got to have that fucking bike. It's a huge advantage. It was a huge advantage when we did sales over at Eagle Rider because guess what? If I had somebody who was on the fence, you know, you could put them on the bike for a day, like a rental bike, not that exact bike, but put them on a rental bike, same model, same style. Let them go ride it. Have them come back. Well, how'd you like it? And nine times out of 10, the rental sold the fucking bike. It was like, oh man, I fucking loved it. Now we're going to put pipes and all this shit on it. Great sold the fucking bike. Okay. So rentals is a huge thing. Now I think there's some companies like NBA, they're behind the fucking power curve. Oh, we offer rental insurance. I can go on rider share and not have to worry about having rental insurance or any of that shit, because guess what? It's all done through the fucking website. And yeah, I got to pay a small percentage to these guys, but I'm still going to make my money. And I have, I made really good money with these guys. And I've heard some rental operations are like, yeah, I got to pay for all of my rentals insurance the year in advance up front. That's fucking crazy if you're a small business. So yeah, you got a lot of these products coming out that are trying to assist uh, you know, dealerships and companies, but you really gotta look at getting low speed, high speed, low drag, internet-based as much as possible, and try to implement some kind of rental program into your dealership is basically what the future is looking at. You know, you're not gonna see a lot of product out there. You know, like for instance here, you know, at my last place of employment, they dude, they still got old Dionese shit with fucking dust on it from two, three years ago that RevZilla's already cleared out and they got the next model of your stuff. So now you're going to try to struggle with why am I going to pay $250 for this when I can go get the brand new shit for $260? That's, that's the problem with online sales or well, not the problem, but that is the, the culture that's created in online sales and shit. Now I saw this one, uh, this one product that just came out and they're trying to get dealers to tag on because oh, it's everything all in one place. But one of the things been killing dealerships, like for instance, if you have, imagine this, this is one of the problems. A lot of these fucking vendors have minimum orders. One of the minimums for me was $150,000. I had to have $150,000 in ordered Dionese stuff. And I had to build this thing. Okay. Now imagine this, if the stuff doesn't sell, becomes obsolescence, I start losing money. Okay, because now I got to blow it out to try to fucking save my ass on it. Not only that, if the dealership wants any kind of money or revenue, now you have $150,000 tied up into just shit that's collecting dust. When you could have maybe had $25,000, $30,000, keep your very high speed 
uh, low drag operation. And then you have the extra 120 to play around with instead of stacked up in inventory. And a lot of dealers are straying away from that and going more internet based and having the product on the shelf. Cause yeah, you can sell stuff uh, to customers in the winter time. You can sell stuff on eBay, but these are things just to help you. It's not the cure all answer. Inventory management is really key. So um, some of these products that are coming out are pretty cool. Some of them are taking advantage of dealers that are older and may not know better. So, I mean, but you just gotta look and see what's a good fit for you, okay? That's the most important part. See what, what's a good fit for your business. See what's a good fit for you personally. So I'll stop rambling, guys. Uh, I'm got, I got another little outtake treat for you. This is like one of the warm-ups I've done, or I do. I kind of do a warm-up. A lot of people ask me about my podcast, how I do this. I do a little warm-up beforehand just to get the blood flowing, uh, get my, mo my motor mouth going. And it's just something funny to put in there. So hope you guys enjoyed a little outtake. We'll be back. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Motorcycle Cafetito. Blah, 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 blah. First segment, we're going to go over some blah, blah, blah. The second segment, we're going to go over some blah, blah, blah. And then we're going to talk some blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to talk mad shit about everybody, okay? Welcome to the show, guys. Hope you have a good one. Blah, 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 blah. Frown now, brown cow. Brown cow, frown now. Scotch, 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 scotch in my belly. Scotch, scotch, scotch. What is up, guys? I hope you enjoyed that little warm-up spiel that I do. Uh, this is a little thing I do to get warmed up and get ready to run my suck for an hour. But this is going to be the fifth take for segment two. Uh, sometimes, guys, the shit comes a little bit easier. Uh, sometimes I have some technical difficulties uh, because of the way I podcast, the way I do this. Sometimes it ends up good. Sometimes it fucking, I got to re-record it. Today is just one of those days where I got to re-record things. But it is what it is. You got to keep pushing. You got to keep fucking going. The marathon continues, as Nipsey Hussle would always say. So, that being said, in this segment, I'm going to cover for the fifth fucking time, uh, looking at motorcycle reviews or motorcycle dealership reviews, how to gauge it, how to can do the bullshit, trend analysis stuff. We're going to talk about products that they can sell you in the finance office when you're buying a new or used motorcycle at said dealerships, and also go over my uh, goals for reaching a thousand plays. I got to update my goals a little bit for the podcast. So... Started off uh, with reviews, okay? Reviews are very important when you're considering a place to buy a motorcycle, a place to take your bike to get service, okay? Um, uh, one of my boys, Vinny, I asked for a little bit of feedback, and one of my boys, Vinny, he told me he always goes to the worst reviews first. I always go, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, that's one of the methods I use. I use multiple methods. I'm gonna have a tendency of going to the most recent reviews first, okay? I'll look at the last 90 days. So you can do 45 days, I recommend for a minimum, but try to look at the past 90 days of the dealership. See what's been going on. Uh, a lot of times, if you get a shit employee, they're gonna be within that 90 day period, so on and so forth. It's just an easier block to kind of gauge a dealership to really look at where they're at. Um, when I break it off into that segment of the most recent, I'm looking for trends. So one of the things in the aviation side, a lot of my friends are aviation mechanics, AMPs can vouch for this. You look for trend analysis. Uh, the same part breaks five times in one week. You got to look for commonalities behind it. It's like, okay, is it the part? Has this happened to everybody that's done the same job? Is it happening with only one person? Or is it the whole institution as a whole? Okay. So right off the bat, I look for names being mentioned. Is it a commonality of one person? So let's just say you're looking at a, a review and you find... Um, Fucking, you see a name. Let's go to San Francisco. Okay. You see that San Francisco, every time this guy has a negative review, it's always about the same shit. He never calls back. He lied to me about the pricing, lied to me about this, or blah, 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 whatever the negative may be. Look to see if it's consistent across the board with San Francisco. You know, every time San Francisco's name's mentioned, it's got this commonality behind it. That's your trend analysis, right? Okay. So that's one of the things you look at when you're looking at reviews. Also, you're going to look at the nature of the complaint. Okay, is it fixable? Is it something minute that they're tripping off of? Like some people will be like, well, I didn't get a free fucking shirt with uh, my motorcycle purchase. Well, dude, that's, that's not a necessary, that's not a mandatory thing when you buy a new bike because I'm going to give you a fucking free shirt. There's some people out there that just complain just to be complaining. Now, along with that trend analysis is whenever you see a negative review, Yelp, Google, Facebook. I know in Yelp and Google, you can look at the person's profile and try to see, okay, where, especially Yelp, 
okay, they leave, they, this person has left 20 reviews at 20 different businesses. Let me look through and see. Now, if three quarters of those are fucking negative or they're all negative, well, you got a negative Nancy on your belt. You got somebody that's like, oh, I got the short haircut. I need to see your manager all the fucking time. They're never really going to be fucking happy. You're always going to be fucking trying to do something to make them happy. Never going to be happy. Okay. That's one of the things I take in consideration. Now, if I look at the same said person and they have left fucking 15 positive reviews and maybe two or three negative reviews at businesses, then that review carries a little bit more weight. Their opinion carries a little bit more weight now. Okay. So that is one of the things to consider when looking at reviews. Also be suspicious of overly optimistic reviews. That being said, if you look at the reviews and you can't match up the facts with what people are saying, then nine times out of 10, they probably pay for the reviews. The last uh, dealership group I was at, that's what they did. They paid for good reviews. They would give employees spiffs of, you know, fucking get the reviews up because we've had some shitty reviews. Let's get those numbers up. And my service guys were the ones that got the numbers up because they're the ones that deal with customers in the most positive way most of the time. So, um, you know, I looked at the trend of, hmm, for a period of time, this 90-day period, these guys got all these great reviews and then they just stopped. Do you think that people will just stop giving good reviews if they're getting the same service? Hmm, probably not. So what has changed in that time period? It's another thing to look for, okay? Because like I said, in Yelp, I know it's able that businesses are allowed to, it's a service from Yelp provides, they can suppress the negative reviews, sometimes they get deleted. I've heard of them getting deleted, never seen it myself, all right? But I've heard of it. So pay attention to those things. You know, because nobody's perfect. I'm sorry. There's a lot of great businesses out there, but no one's fucking perfect. You're going to make mistakes. Which brings me to my next kind of correlation of things in this topic, which is what happens when they get a negative review? Now, I always taught my Marines, uh, Marines, technicians, service writers, parts, managers, everybody that's ever worked for me, I always told them, look, we're going to fuck up. We're human. It happens. Now, the goal is to not fuck up, of course. But to second that is, what do you do after the mistake is made? What are, you, what are you doing to rectify it? If you forgot to call the customer back, what are you doing to rectify that? Are you writing a notepad down to make sure you don't fucking forget to call people back? <clears throat> what is the solution to the problem? Okay. So also I'm looking for engagement. Now, if somebody's going to leave a one-star review on my business, I'm going to engage with that customer and be like, hey, look, I apologize for having a negative experience. Here's my contact info. Please get in touch with me so that way we can rectify the problem. That's what I'm looking for. And not only that, I'm going to go out of my way. If I'm engaging with the customer personally to rectify the problem, to fix it, I'm going to ask them, hey, sir, look, you left us a bad review. Can you go through and amend it? I'm not asking you to give us five stars because we didn't give you five star treatment right away. But what I'm asking for is you can amend it to let people know what we did to fix the problem. And shit, I've gone on Yelp myself and amended fucking uh, reviews. My wife did too. The guy that left a cabinet, uh, did our cabinets, gave him a three star review at first or a two star review because he didn't follow up. He contacted us right away, rectify the problem, and we amended our review. Because we're like, yeah, you know what? That's an important thing. Yelp and Google are important for businesses nowadays when you talk about reviews. So they went ahead, they fixed the problem, we held up our end of it, and we're a good customer. Now you're gonna have some customers out there just shit customers. They're not gonna give a fuck. They're just not gonna do nothing. They don't care about anybody except themselves. That's just life and that's just humanity in general. You can't do anything about that. Fix what you can fix. Now, on the contrary to that, I give you a bad example. So I do research on dealerships in my area and I'm constantly looking to see who's the cream in the crop, who's not, okay? Now, one of the things I looked at, I was looking at a specific dealership in Reno, in the Reno area. I was looking at reviews and this self-proclaimed general manager on there proceeded to get in a pissing contest with a customer through the review portal. Meaning the customer had very specific complaints, very specific things outlined. And then they proceeded, this general manager proceeded to fucking, in a sense, kind of belittle the customer and be like, no, you're wrong. We're right. Well, for one, if you're in the industry, guys, you're a fucking idiot if you decide to air your dirty laundry online. You know, that's be the same as fucking taking a dick pic. Guys, the shit's on the fucking cloud forever. That is part of your fucking now, that's part of your reputation now. That's one of the things I am now going to consider it in the trend. All right. So here it is, I have a problem, and instead of being a G about it and being like, you know what, sir, can you personally get in contact with me and touch, you're gonna fucking get in an argument, a pissing contest with a customer on Yelp. 
Well, if I'm the owner or manager, I'm fucking firing you. I'm gonna, dude, get the fuck out of here. That's how you're gonna do business. Get the fuck out of here. Because remember, motorcycles are not a necessity. They're a luxury item. That's what they consider it, luxury, right? So why the fuck am I gonna allow you to get in a pissing contest with a customer on the interwebs for everybody to see? I'd rather have that debate or that discussion or not even a pissing contest, the discussion to rectify the problem face-to-face at the dealership or even even if I got to take the guy to lunch. Like, sir, can you meet me for lunch and we can talk about this problem I want to try to fix it. Because when you get in a pissing contest with somebody, especially in the way that these guys did up in Reno, you know, they were like, oh, well, it's not our fault. It's your fault. So, okay. One of the takeaways from that is, for one, instead of rectifying the problem or trying to see if there's a problem, you're going to get in a pissing contest online. Fuck you, I'm taking my money somewhere else. That's one. Two, you're not even acknowledging anything. You're immediately passing the blame. So that means you take no responsibility. Strike two. And then three, the fact that you want to try to belittle the customer, instead of being a professional, you're the general manager, for say, you know, for say, because that's not how real GMs act. What, what are you doing to fix it? Obviously, instead of fucking looking at the problems to rectify, it goes back to that guy that comes in day one and says everything needs to be fixed. You're taking the opposite approach. Oh, nothing's wrong. We're good. Fuck that, dude. If you got a, if you got a, a leaky pipe, you need to figure out where the fucking pipe, the leak is coming from so you can fix it. Well, it's leaking. We'll just put a cup under it. Don't worry about it. So if that's how you're going to treat your customers after I spent my twenty dollars to $30,000 there, like I don't have a, I don't, I don't stand a chance. Fuck you, I'm out. Take my 20, 30 Gs somewhere else. And with the internet nowadays, it's even more competitive. So if that's the level of customer service I'm going to receive, I can fuck off. I'm going to spend my money somewhere else. Okay, those are just my insights and my opinions of my experiences in the industry. I always try to engage with customers that would give them negative reviews. I'd always try to rectify the problem, and I always tried to get them. You know, if you're if you're a good enough customer to me, you're gonna get you're gonna amend your review and try to show people, yeah, you know what? Yeah, we made mistakes, but we also go out of our way to fix them because that speaks volumes. And I'm more than likely, I'm a Tennessee. I'm gonna spend my money there more. Okay, so. Those are some of the things I look for in a review. Uh, you know, is San Francisco have a trend of being a liar stuff? And not only that, I always test, okay? Before you judge 100%, I do 90%, about 80% off of reviews, and then the last 20% is in the brick and mortar. I walk into the dealership. I know, I'll write down the general trends. No one talks to you when you're in there, or blah, 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 or the product is here and there. And I look for those problems. Do they still exist? You know. Here it is, I walk in and you got product all over the place, mismatch, or you don't have, you know, full size runs of everything. Your gloves are all over the place. The product's dusty. You know, bikes are dusty. I'm gonna, I, okay. If you don't even give a fuck about this, the product that makes you money, that makes your paycheck, I don't stand a chance. I'm out. That's the first thing. Two, I'm always gonna look at or go try to find a manager of some sort and discuss these problems with these people. Like, hey man, I noticed that you had some negative reviews and this is the trend that I noticed. It's like every time it's like, oh, title, titles and tags, titles and licensing. Have you guys fixed that problem? What's your turnaround now for, for getting me my, my license plate, my registration? If you get a um, 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 kick in the floor or kind of like the runaround, you're lying to me, fuck you, I'm out. Because if you know the truth and you know the problem, you're gonna be able to spit it out right away, all right? So commonalities in a problem, have they fixed those problems? Now, if you notice the trend that most of the problems are on the sales side, we'll give your fixed stop guys a, a chance. Your parts and service guys, those are who you're gonna be dealing with after you purchase the motorcycle anyways. So try to give those guys a chance. If they're shit too, then hey, guess what? You got your whole complete picture painted. This is a shit place. Oh, it looks nice outside, but it's a big fat turd bucket on the inside. All right, done, not spending my money here, okay? Or like I said, if you go in there and you ask like, oh man, you know what? Man, I'm also always seeing this guy's name pop up, San Francisco. Is that guy still here? Oh yeah, he's still here. Fucking run, run. Don't even fucking spend a dime in that place. So you're telling me the guy that is a nature of half your sales complaints and it's all like, oh, he this and that and that. You're telling me this guy still has a fucking job here? Oh, hell no, I'm gone. I'm spending my $20,000, $30,000 somewhere else. Pay attention to those things, challenge it. Like I said, guys, if you want a complete picture when it comes to uh, the best deal discount on fucking parts, the best this, best that, the best thing for you is to do a little bit of research and find out, okay? And that leads me into my second portion of this, which is products that they sell in the finance office. In the box, in the box. 
In the industry, that's what we call being in the box. Okay, when you're in there with the finance guys, you pick the motorcycle, they're trying to get you on the bike. One of the things these guys are gonna to try to do too is sell you, upsell you on product, okay? That's their job. By product, I mean uh, GAD, you know, your extended warranty, tire and wheel coverage. Those are the three right off the back I'm gonna to touch on, GAD. If you're buying a $5,000 motorcycle, you're paying, let's just say you're paying six for it because you're financing, and the bike is only worth 4,500 or 5,000 or some, some sort, get GAD insurance. Unless your insurance company makes up the difference, which I know a lot of insurance companies, they only make up the difference, at least my insurance company's Geico, they told me they cover $1,500 and the parts and accessories on the bike. So anything that I put on the bike after what it came stock, they would cover $1,500 worth of that, okay? So, I, and not only that, I paid for most of my bike up front, so I didn't have to worry about that. No need. The bike was worth more than what I had the loan for, so it was good. No worries at all. And then I paid it all, so it really wasn't worth if you're paying for the bike over half or you're financing less than, you know, less than hundred percent, say you're only financing 70% of it, then you're good to go. I won't worry too much about it unless you're throwing that extra $2,000 in parts and accessories onto the bike that we talked about. Then definitely get the gap because you're not going to get the difference. That bike gets totaled. Yeah, you can sit back and say that, oh, well, it's worth like five grand. The insurance is only going to pay you what it's worth. And what you paid a thousand dollars for exhaust, they'll probably give you five. You know, that's just the way it works. Uh, another thing is extended warranty. Buying a new bike wouldn't worry about extended warranty until your manufacturer's warranty is up. And be educated on your manufacturer's warranty. Some of them go, oh, it's just two years period by time. Some of them do two years or mileage first. So pay attention to those things. You know you're gonna outride the warranty within a year, then you may wanna add it on to the deal, especially for financing. Hey, can I have an extended warranty, but I wanted to kick in after this year? Yeah, sure. You can go ahead and do that. Uh, or if you got a used motorcycle, you want to get a two-year warranty. Go ahead and do it. I highly recommend when a used motorcycle get an extended warranty. I paid $1,200 for my Harley extended warranty. I used, I claimed about $3,200 in claims on, on the, for the warranty. So it paid for itself two times over. You really have to worry about that. Um, great thing to have, extended warranty. I highly recommend it because it can get a little pricey sometimes. So if you can't afford it, get it. If you buy a used motorcycle off of somebody, go around to the dealerships, ask. They can sell you a third-party warranty. Now the motorcycle has to fit certain criteria, like, oh, it has to be under 10 years old, it has to be under certain mileage. And some warranties require a safety inspection. Some of them do, not all of them, but some of them do. So make sure your bike's in pretty decent shape. You can't have a 1982 fucking Honda Shadow and think you're gonna get a two-year extended warranty. I, I wouldn't even touch that with a 10-foot pole. So think about that. Tire and wheel coverage. Okay, so I've had a lot of people debate over tire and wheel coverage. Now, most of the people that I've seen buy into this, they end up spending $500 to cover it. And most of the time, the tire and wheel coverage is for two years. You run over a nail, run over a razor blade, okay? As long as the tire meets a certain tread depth minimum of 330 seconds for most companies, you're going to get a new tire. And most of them don't even have deductibles for tires anymore. I had this one customer, had a double R, just bought the bike two months prior, a month prior, was putting a tail tidy on, didn't put it on right, it fell off, or I think like a cable got wrapped into the wheel, destroyed his rear tire. Getting it off the tow truck, I don't even allow, I'm not even lying. We were getting this thing off the tow truck, and as the guy's getting off the tow truck, I'm like, yo bro, you know you got a nail in your front too? He was like, ah, oh, fuck. I was like, no worries, man. I'll call the warranty company right now, get it added on. I'll send him pictures and everything. Didn't even know he had a nail in his front. Both front and rear tire replacement cost him over $400 with labor and parts. He walked out the door paying zero that day, okay? So tire roll covers, now say you hit a pothole, your rim gets damaged, all right? Guess what? Tire roll is gonna cover that. You're gonna get a brand new rim, which I can promise you, labor and parts is gonna be over 500. So. The tire package is really good. So when these guys try to upsell you on that, just see if it fits you. If it doesn't fit you, then don't buy it. But if you know, like me, I've caught in two, three nails in my fucking riding career, then guess what? I paid for the tire roll coverage. It, it paid for itself in the long run. Same thing with the extended warranty. You just have to ask yourself, does it fit you, okay? That's what you always have to ask yourself. Does this work for me, okay? Now, that's, that's my spiel on extended warranty. That's my spiel, spiel on reviews. If anybody has any questions or any comments, please feel free to reach out to me on my social medias. 
uh, Moto Dad Tito on Facebook or Instagram. All right. Um, also, guys, my goals have changed a little bit for the podcast. Okay. So I had this big elaborate goal of trying to get on YouTube as soon as possible. Now, doing my research and what the mold for this podcast is, it's that goal doesn't fit what I'm trying to accomplish right away. So what I've done is I changed my goal. So for one, we're up to 968 plays. I really want to thank you guys because the numbers keep climbing. I'm looking at my analytics, you know, every other day. I, I can't thank you guys enough for listening, your time. You know, I'm seeing, you know, listeners in Guam, United Arab Emirates, uh, UK, you know, Ireland, all over, US, whether you got, you know, you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your platform is, I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to me. I don't take it lightly, and it definitely is my motivation to keep this podcast going and to keep it getting improved. Now, one of the things I looked at was I wanted to improve my audio quality because I'm like a fucking rolling stone when it comes to podcasting. I'll podcast anywhere I can get an open space at besides the bathroom. I promise you guys, unless it's some fucking millionaire's bathroom with a TV in it or some shit, I'm never going to podcast for a bathroom. But I kind of podcast wherever I can. But one of the things I had to negotiate with the general, the commandante, my wife, was if we could split the, one of our guest rooms into being half hers, half mine. And I am, I was going to, oh, when we get to a thousand plays, I'm starting to work on this right now. I am a baller on a budget and I am trying to make things work within my budget, but we're going to turn half of that room into a podcast studio lounge man cave type deal for me to work out of and do some podcasting when I have guests and such. Cause I'm thankful for my friends, Dagan, Keith, Tony, they'll sit there in a hotel or a room or office or wherever the fuck we podcast at and do it. But I want to take this to the next level. And before I can even think about doing YouTube, I got to get the quality better. I got to focus on building the podcast facade more than anything else. So that's what I'm going to be working on over the next month. I can't, I don't know when my timeline is to get this accomplished. I'll be honest with you. I just know that right now, that's what I want to do. I want to try to keep it as budget friendly and low cost as possible. So that way when we get to the point when we start doing YouTube recordings, it's not like just boring. Like, oh, these guys are just randomly any fucking place. Like where's Waldo? It's a legitimate fucking spot that's set up for it. So that's my goal update for the thousand plays, which I'm about 30 some away from. And that's that's what I want to keep doing, guys. I want to just keep making this podcast uh, better and better. So that's all I got for this week, guys, or for this episode right now. Um, look, it's Monday. It's the beginning of the week. I hope you guys get out there. You fucking crush it. I hate that show. Oh, somebody's got a case on Mondays. Like, was it like office? It was office space. So, hey, man, has anybody told you you got a case of Mondays? Hell no, nah, man. I think you get your ass whipped for saying some shit like that. <laughs> That's the way I feel. Have that energy. Keep going. Crush it this week, guys. Um, if you got any feedback for me, please feel free. Reach out to me. Like I said, Facebook, Instagram, Moto Dad Tito. Or, the, you know, you can shoot me a DM. If you got my number, then you just shoot me a text. If you don't, then you ain't fucking getting it. Much love and respect goes out to everybody out there in the community. No matter what you're doing, whether you're a porter or you're the fucking guy running the dealership, one of the two, I appreciate anybody listening to this. Much love and respect goes out to you. And guess what? I'll see you when I fucking see you. Peace out.